Let's get started in here. Let's get started in here. Let's. 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 And welcome everyone to Wage of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. Good see to see you again. Nobody can see us. You have to stop. Doing I that. can see them. Are, are, is that your X-Men power now? I can, I can see you, you're, you're pod, Andre. You're, you're podcasto. <laughs> Worst Marvel villain ever. <laughs> see him in Doctor Strange coming out this November. Hey, c compared to the kind of villains that they have now, a, a villain who uses... Uh, I'm going to use the ability to look through uh, audio channels. To kill the president and take over the world. I can see you while you look at porn. Anyway, <laughs> we are back to talk about movies and the ones we like. I like to. I like this plan. I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. All right. But we have also something else briefly to talk about, which is this article that came up uh, from RogerEbert.com. Movies are going down the tubes, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here first. Newsflash. <laughs> Movies are going down the tubes. Oh, no. It's Telegrapho. <laughs> My antiquated antecedent. <laughs> Telegrapho versus Podcasto. I, I like this thing. No, it, the author was on... Uh, if you go to RogerEbert.com, there's a section on the site called Balder and Dash. And uh, this writer, who I want to give her credit because she did an excellent job. Her name is Jessica Ritchie. Um, she wrote an article about how much Hollywood is kind of mucked up this summer, but in ways that people might have not really fully digested, which mm. is the fact that pop culture really does matter in the ways of, you know, it's not just, oh, we go see a movie, we're entertained, maybe we're not, who knows. But it's also about the conversations that get started, how people really connect and engage yeah. through the media, and the fact that this summer... You know, we've had some movies that have been popular, some that have totally failed, but, you know, among everything else, a Netflix show is the thing that really broke through as far as here's what people are actually talking about. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about, like, sort of an ideal model of pop culture, it's basically what we're doing now. We're talking about movies and having a discussion about them, what yes. they mean, things like that. Meanwhile, there have been some... Rats, some very notable disappointments this year. Yeah, well, starting uh, not with just Batman. Fi fine, start, I'm sorry. Starting with Batman versus Superman. That's the yes. only time I'm going to mention this in this episode. Good. Uh, I'll, and, I'll, I'll hold you to it. Uh, Suicide Squad, to a certain extent. Yes, uh, I mean we'll see how the the box office goes. It seems to be slowing down now. I I don't know how Hollywood accounts for these things because it has a hundred and seventy five million dollar budget. Right. Um. But for me, I think uh, somebody on online asked about this, and obviously the first thing I mentioned was Batman v Superman. But I also thought of X Men. Yeah, that was kind of a disappointment for me. The fact that here's this new X Men movie after a few really good ones, yeah. and it really the quality seemed to drop off in terms of the writing and coming up with fresh ideas for these. And characters. going back in the other direction, a really good film that flopped, the BFG. Yes, which and, uh, you can listen to our review, or my, well, I, I talked about it uh, a few episodes ago, but um, and, yeah, and, um, it is a classic Spielberg movie, which, again, based on a very popular book. Yes, and uh, featuring an actor who just won an Oscar with uh, Mark Rylance. Uh, now, there can be multiple reasons as to why that didn't do well. I, oh, wait, I, one more thing. Please. Ben Hur is going to flop hard. 
It already did. Yeah. Oh man, that that had like it made eleven million dollars this weekend. What were they thinking? This is the new gem in gem in the holograms. <laughs> well, at least it's funny though because gem in the holograms didn't even cost that much. So, <laughs> like that was a flop, but not in a way that really hurts the studio. This is something that, like, at least with that they can kind of say, ah, well, DVDs, TV, whatever. But with Ben Hur, it's just. Who, all right, I, I say this in saying that I think Ben-Hur is a really terrific movie, the, the Charlton Heston one. It is. I haven't seen the silent film version, so I can't speak to that. But who is looking for a new Ben-Hur movie in 2016? Well, you could say that about a lot of films. I mean, we just I think we just did a podcast where we were talking about who was looking for uh, something or other. Uh, like... I think this was back in our sequel. Who, who was looking for a remake of Ghostbusters? Mm, well, that that at least though people know that name. Generally speaking, it's been something in the public consciousness for thirty years. Ben Hur, yeah, it was one of the most popular films of all time when it came out. It's iconic. Now. It is iconic, uh, and but the thing Anytime is, time you see a bunch of guys rowing a boat and a man playing a drum, <laughs> yes, yeah, you have that. You have a chariot race. Uh, I mean, I, with Ben-Hur, it's funny, because I think I learned about Ben-Hur before I saw the movie, as with many things, thanks to The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, you know, you have, uh, Mr. Burns' remake of Ben-Hur, where he's the one who offers the water to Ben-Hur in the desert, <laughs> and Ben-Hur remarks, you really are the king of kings. <laughs> and, like, the light shines down on Mr. Burns, and he's like, excellent. Um... But I mean, though, more in the sense that, like, a lot of these intellectual properties come out, and it's supposed to be, okay, we know, we'll, we'll, audiences will come because of the name. We have, like, a real name with Ghostbusters. Mm. You know, even if the movie isn't that great, we'll have a pretty good opening weekend, because people are interested in, like, the technology, they're interested in the comedy aspect, uh, the women part, maybe, maybe not, but with Ben-Hur... I mean, we've had the the up the remake of Ben Hur in its way. You take out the Jesus element, Gladiator, hmm. and to an extent, I mean that's a movie where it's a fall you, and rise story, a fall and rise story, and also with two main male characters who are kind of at odds, even though they're together. I feel like even Ten Commandments is kind of connected with Ben Hur. <laughs> They're they're cut from the same cloth. Yeah. The sort of biblical epic. You would swear. I saw Ben Hur after I saw the Ten Commandments. I'm like, is this by the same guy? It's like Charlton yeah. Heston's in here. This is yeah. these are practically the same film. Mm-hmm. But I would have to say, like, if I had to choose, this is just a side note. Uh, I think I might like Ben Hur a little more than Ten Commandments. I hope that's not. That's blasphemy. fair. I mean, like, as I far think... as as far as a movie that holds up. Ben Hur, uh, Judah Ben Hur, in the main character of Ben Hur, is a more complicated and compelling character than Moses in the Ten yes. Commandments. But I still think both are fantastic spectacles. Uh, ben Hur probably edges out the Ten Commandments because of that chariot race yeah. and because of Charlton Heston being yeah. a much better character. You want to know interesting trivia about uh, Ben Hur? Yeah. Uh, there are two. Ben Hur is about two men who are initially, you know. 
they're like brothers, but then one betrays the other. Yeah. Well, uh, one is Judah Ben-Hur, played by Charlton Heston. The other is this man named Masala, yes. who's a Roman, yes. who's played by somebody else. And <laughs> during the filming, the guy who played Masala went up to the director and said, can I kind of play this so that it's like... Yeah, that he, that we, he wanted to play a little homosexual. Yeah, so that we were like lovers. And William Wyler is like, yes, but don't tell Heston. Don't tell Chuck. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done if I knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the but part of it, all going back to now this remake, like I think of uh, at least a big not not all together because there are a lot of things that made Ben Hur one of the most successful films of all time. But part of that was that Charlton Heston was this big like oak of a man hmm. who we you know we also talked about Planet of the Apes on our last podcast. And how he made such a cutting presence. And who did they get for the remake? Mark Wahlberg. Which, Mark Wahlberg, decent actor. Mark Wahlberg actor. was in there? The remake of Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. sorry. I thought you were talking about Ben Hurt. Not, not this. Not ben, that would have... Oh, man. I'm just picturing Mark Wahlberg and Ben Hur. What? What? No. The... Jesus. No. <laughs> <laughs> But but like the point is they get this guy Jack Houston, uh, grandson of John Houston, and he just doesn't. Ha- he might be an okay actor. He doesn't have though that presence that, you know. I mean, granted, I know that the argument is well, stars don't unless you have a really really huge star, stars don't open movies anymore the way they used to. But at least you could try to know. get somebody that you know you're not going to get too many people who are like. 14, 13 year olds who would rather stay home and watch Stranger Things on Netflix to pay like $15 to see, you know, Ben Hur. You know what really bugged me about the trailer for Ben Hur, the yeah. remake? It's two things. Two things which are pet peeves for me in historical Mor- films Morgan Freeman and Dreadlocks? No. <laughs> it's, but it's, uh, one of them was that thing, uh, is a thing that Morgan Freeman says. It's like, we will have a revolution. And I'm like, ah, oh, this again. <laughs> Every bad historical film is like, we will fight oppression and be free and have a revolution. No. It doesn't work that way. We know how the story ends. Yes. People. I always hate that. It was the same thing with Robin Hood, and it was the same thing with Kingdom of Heaven. Yes. Which, you know, Ridley Scott... And I hate those. But the other thing that bothered me is the line of dialogue in the trailer. Okay. It's like in the middle of the chariot race, and it's like, are we having fun now, brother? I hate when people just say, oh, brother, oh, sister, oh, relation to me. Yes. Uh, it's it's so stilted, and it's so corny, and it's I hate it so much when characters say things like that. Yeah, it, it's, like, it's very unnatural. Yeah, it's and people think it's like, oh, it'll make us sound fancy and ancient. No. People talked like people. Back yeah. Then. Also, they wouldn't say, "Are we having fun now?" That that, that's more like it's also speech. it's also a terrible taunt. But yes. it's but um, the, it's the brother part. I hate it when people it say just that in looked, movies. It just looked dull. It just looked like a movie that wasn't doing anything new. And again, you you could say what you want about the original Ben Hur, but that was a movie made on a huge scale. But they made it look impressive because they were using real things. They had a fully real chariot race. They're using like a real arena set. But yeah. here, so much of it is CGI, and people know that it's CGI. And it, yeah, it's just another stupid. But here's one of the things I'm going to say 
I don't think that a remake of Ben Hur is inherently unnecessary. Well, it's this well, one it just the didn't third look. Remake. Well, I mean, okay. so we could say it's not necessarily. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, remaking the thing. Yeah, well, they've done that. Yeah, they they remade they've the done thing it a twice. third time. It the the remake the remake or the remake. It's the constant question of. Uh, of, of the Jeff Goldblum character in Jurassic Park. It's like, you know, you never, you know, you you thought so hard about if we could do something, you never stopped to think if you should. Yeah. Um, also, but, anyway, this, but to go back to this article for a second. Yeah, that's what I would want yeah. to do too. Um, well, well, a really key point that this author made a good job of pointing out is um, this idea of, I'm going to quote here, uh, you know, you only have to look at other media that capture audience imagination to see how much, Hollywood has abdicated its throne as the provider of collective dreams. Wow, that now, sounds great. Now, I know that sounds, like, really heady, but they, but then she brought it down to something pretty simple, that Pokemon Go. Hmm. The fact that you have so many millions of people, uh, like, who, you know, just got obsessed. I don't know if they still are, maybe, maybe, but, like, at least for a few weeks, everybody was on their phones walking around trying to find little Pokemon that didn't exist, but it connected people. It might get them out into the world. Right. In the article, they talked about how it was like, it turned the regular world into a scavenger hunt fantasy where you just walked through everyday life and found mystical creatures that were just hiding in places you already knew. Well, it also, it, it kind of engaged the imaginations. It's not just another, you know, end of the world. Things are everything crazy spectacle type of thing mm. that, I mean, a, another key point was 30 years from now, are we going to have a think piece retrospective uh, honoring Independence Day resurgence? No. <laughs> uh, I might. Sure, you might, but nobody's gonna, Well, I'm not going to say nobody's going to read it, but I mean, like, it's... But it's not going to be, like, this thing that a lot of people are thinking about. Or, like, The Legend of Tarzan. I wish I had seen that movie. We could still watch it. Good. It's not going away anywhere. It'll be on DVD. Another line from... Uh, another uh, excerpt from this article that I really liked... It said we need a super we we need a Superman who smiles and talks people off of ledges. Yes, well that well that is actually a reference to something uh, uh, in comics because there was this mm. great Superman comic called All Star Superman by Grant Morrison, and they did a, there was a DC page. animated movie that about adaptation of that was yes it? it was very good yeah that was very good I I loved that one yeah that's I still a, that's, think about that's it. a better Superman movie than Man of Steel. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. We agree. Um, but the point is, there's this panel in the comic where this girl is, you know, this little teenage girl is really desperate and about to maybe jump off a ledge. And Superman just comes and says, something happened. I'm sorry. I couldn't get here in time. And she just, like, goes into Superman's arms and he just hugs her. And it's just, like, this moment where, wow. Yeah. What do we get in Batman v Superman? Not to bring it I'm up again, but... <laughs> You oh, did it this time, so yeah, it's okay. I did this time. I have to stop this spaceship. <sighs> I have to save people. <sighs> if it's a chore, then you're not enjoying yourself. Like, yeah, Henry Cavill I, can I, smile. Smile, damn it. Yeah, Henry Cavill can smile. It's just that it, we're, we are wasting Henry Cavill. Yes. Um. So I like that part of it too, as you mentioned it. But yeah, this whole this idea of pop culture. Make give, bring diverse people to talk together. It 
it's something important. I really hope Hollywood takes some lessons from this summer. The fact that you just can't release a sequel every goddamn week and expect that everything is going to be gangbusters or that, you know, in the more important thing that it's going to really last in such a way. And even just to pull it back a little bit, remember when we were watching, remember when we saw X-Men Apocalypse Mm -hmm. and beforehand I pointed out the thing that I found really weird, that little intro by the actors and actresses. (laughs) Well, they're doing that now, like not, it's not, Right, but the this whole point... summer, Finding Dory did this too. Right, but the whole point is, you know, it's like, come to the theater and see the nice intro. To, in order to get people to come into movies and spend money to see these movies. And I thought about that a little more. And I thought, wait a minute. Movies are making billions of dollars now. And they're still trying to get more people to come in. Some movies are making billions, not others. Yes. But, I mean, X-Men Apocalypse was a film that was a sequel to a successful franchise, even a critically successful franchise, which people were probably going to see because it was an X-Men movie. Yeah, why would you need to say, thank you for coming to this movie? and 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 that's the problem. The business model is dependent upon giant movies which are supposed to make billions yeah and ultimately it seems like that's not sustainable anymore yeah i there have been so many noteworthy disappointments this year even films that made their money back well in theory yeah are being called financial disappointments even though they're making billions of dollars they're still doing well and also you never know where else the money's going to come from like yeah. even if even if something looks like it didn't make its profit back fully you also have what they call ancillary rights you have tv rights you have toys you have games you have this or that but on the other side of that you have the cost not directly related to the production of the film which is advertising and uh, all these sort of negotiations for for things like that, those are like the hidden costs. Yes. You know, where, where you say essentially you have to make twice your money in order to really make the, a profit. The classic, the classic uh, figure I love is how, uh, and, and this is no joke, that back in the 90s, uh, Forrest Gump supposedly lost money. Hmm. <laughs> Forrest Gump, and that, one of the most successful movies ever. And it feels like with movies making billions of dollars, with these big cinematic universes, it feels like more people are seeing movies now than ever because there's so much they uh, want to see. And then I don't but, know about but, that. I've looked at they've they've put out charts showing that not exactly like it, there there are a lot of people going to see movies. But there was more of a peak about maybe ten years ago, and it's not quite hit that. Like it's it's more that if you look at the how much money is being brought in, some of that is more due to rising costs for tickets hmm. and for special things like if for 3D and other special IMAX services and stuff. It might not necessarily mean that more people are going. It's just that the figures might look like they're higher if you know you're raising prices on the people who are going. Hmm, I see what you mean. So okay, so it's not necessarily that more people are going now than ever. That's not why we're getting the billion dollar returns. We're, it's well, just it's because also of because of the else. international alliances too, which is what crosses it over into billions. I mean, uh, you know, imagine if China didn't exist for Captain America or something. All right, um, but I don't know. Uh, the point uh, is, I was, I was mistaken. The point that. is, this article. Hopefully, more pe- people. Hopefully, some of you read it. Uh, 
like I said, it's on RogerEbert.com. And, you know, it. it's funny that the ultimate takeaway that this writer has is that, and I'll, I quote, the best thing you could say about this summer's roster of blockbusters is how forgettable they are. What? How forgettable <laughs> what are? The the summer's roster of blockbusters. What blockbusters? I, I think I, are you being serious or? Who am I? <laughs> All right. <laughs> But go check out the article yourself. It's on RogerEbert.com. What's the yeah. title of the article, Jack? Um, it's called uh, Hollywood Gave Up On You, The Summer by, Movies of 2016. But written by whom? Jessica Ritchie. That's R-I-T-C-H-E-Y. Not to be Jessica Ritchie, thank you. We loved your article. Keep writing things. We'll keep reading them and boosting you on your podcast. You're welcome. Right on. All right. So, um, movies. Movies. These things called movies. We watched them because uh, we actually uh, were off a little bit longer than we expected. Uh, it's summertime. I mean, these things happen. I mean, hey, if the Congress is away for like six or seven weeks, we might be away for a week here and there. Hmm. <laughs> Not to compare us to the Congress. I think we do more than them. Well, we have the oh. same number of senators as New Jersey, so. Fair enough. Well, we have, the, mean, same, the, well, we have us, the same number yeah. of senators as every state. No, but I mean is, yeah, basically. So. <laughs> yes, we have, our podcast has the same number of hosts as the state of uh, Wyoming. Check out the state of Wyoming's podcast hosted by their senators. <laughs> it comes out every two weeks. All right. So for me, uh, this month, uh, since we last recorded, and uh, and I know our last episode was Suicide Squad, but I mean like before that, um this this month has been filled with a lot of kind of highs and lows for me. Seeing things in the theater and at home that are really good and also really not so good. What's the what's the highest of the high? Uh, it's, it's it's tough to say. While you're well, thinking about that, what's the lowest of the low? All right. Well, I could say the lowest of the low. Well, there are two movies uh, that I could talk about once. Not All right, like go two, ahead. Because uh, they're both from last year. Uh, one is called. Dancing, it's on. <laughs> this is the uh, Ted Danson biopic, right? <laughs> Ted Danson. <laughs> the man's coming back. The, the Danson. No, um, okay. Danson, All right, on. let me start this off with a question. Do you remember the movie Space Mutiny? Yeah. From uh, a good old friends at Mystery Science Theater, which... Uh, yeah, uh, Blast Hard Cheese. Th- uh, Thorn McGristlebody. Yeah. Or those all those names from that uh, movie. Punch Side Iron. <laughs> Can you think of one more? Thick McLarge Huge. There we go. Um, uh, so the director of that movie, Space Mutiny... Came out with a movie last year in theaters. Great. And by this, I mean, like, it almost seemed as if, like, he... I feel like he might have been in cryogenic sleep and was unfrozen and tasked in 2015 to make a dopey step-up style dance movie. We got a crappy script. We got a crappy script. Thaw out the asset. Oh, script. What script? Oh, my God. This movie, and by the way, it's on Netflix, so if you decide that you're curious, this this should be a new cult classic in the making. As by that, I mean, like, bad, bad, bad movie one. Like, this is the kind of material that lucid nightmares are made of. Nice. That was in my review. I mean, 
every single line of dialogue is ADR'd. Every single one. <laughs> like, well, the thing is, this movie takes place in Panama City, and don't worry, if you get confused about that, they have a musical montage to show off Panama City. Panama! That would have been cool. Um, Clearly, this movie has no assets to license the song Panama by Van Halen. No, it does not. Uh, it's... it's oh, God, this movie. It uh, So, every line of dialogue... It feels re- like it's been recorded so somewhere else. So is it else. dubbed? Was it kind filmed of. in Panama with Panamanians? No, it has actual like white actors. Um, there are white people in Panama. Yeah, but not like this. This is like Lily White. Um, oh. But I feel like he, when, this guy David Winter might have topped himself from the mutiny days. This is shockingly inept and terrible. Like to This makes the room almost look good. Like, wow. it's that bad. It, it's a dance movie involving, like, the kind of, like, uh, who cares? Like, um, I'm I'm the daughter of the owner of the hotel, and I'm a dishwasher, and, like, I'm, we, we're going to But I really want to dance. Yeah, and we're going to fall in love, but my daddy doesn't want me to fall in love with a dishwasher, so he's going to get this other guy that works at the hotel to try to fall in love with you instead. And, and I'm going to win her heart in a dancing competition. Yeah, well, almost like that. Uh, I'm well, going to win well, over her father. Well, they're going to dance together in the competition, but at, like this is the kind of movie where this dishwasher character I mentioned, he has, like, there are songs throughout the movie. Characters, don't, they don't really sing them, but, like, this... This guy has like an angry montage where he's mad that he the girl's rejecting him. So he's going through the city alternately walking and dancing his emotions. <laughs> oh my god. And this was released last year. Like and now I don't, I almost feel like you ever hear the cliche a movie might not have been released, it escaped. <laughs> <laughs> this movie escaped onto over a hundred screens last year. It was reviewed in places. And I wish I could go into all the things that are awful about this, but it's very funny. Oh my god. This uh, The group of actors who are in this movie, they feel like community theater people have been oh, pulled no. into this. And, like, this is the kind of movie where there's a, uh, there's, like, this black bellhop who, like, almost seems like the actor who played Jar Jar Binks. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Ahmed Best. It's... He's the kind of guy who... This character will talk to one of the characters and be like, cheer up, you'll be alright. And as soon as the character walks off screen, he does a little dance to end the scene. <laughs> I really wish you would have been there I think, for that. I think he was just celebrating the fact that they said cut. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you had been there to watch this movie, man. You would have had the time of your life. So, better or worse than Battle of the Five Armies? Uh, well... Simultaneously better because I had a better time, and worse because it is so so bad. Like at least with the Step Up movies, those are fun. Right. But going to another bad movie I watched, War Room. Now you remember weeks? I don't know how, when what the episode was exactly, but we talked about Christian movies. Yeah, this is one of those. You know, it's just like dancing is terrible. Christianity <laughs> is terrible. <laughs> What the? What is there to do? Oh yeah, let's have a movie where dancing is terrible because Christians say so. Oh, Footloose. Oh yeah, there uh, we go. No, but so I don't know if you've heard of this movie, War Room. It came out last year. 
it somehow snuck into the number one box office slot for Labor Day weekend. Well, we we know why because it was marketed to Christian audiences. Well, Christian audiences, but also there was no competition. Really. Oh wait, is that the is this the movie where like a wife is trying to like solve her problems, so she like makes this little prayer room? Well, no. Well, she's told. Well, she's her husband is basically a mentally abusive asshole. He basically treats her like crap. He's possibly cheating on her. He's stealing pharmaceutical things from his company so instead of doing things like going into counseling or maybe even i don't know divorce right uh she gets counseled by this wise old black lady miss clara who tells her that instead of, you know she shouldn't do that and she shouldn't try to fix her man uh she needs to make her closet into a this quote, is the movie i room. was thinking about yes and so she has to pray away that her man will get better and that the powers of Satan will lose his grip over him and that their marriage will be stronger. This sounds familiar. Yes. Oh, this was pretty bad. I mean, I tried to think watching this if this was worse or more offensive than God's Not Dead. And I guess it depends on how you well, look Well, when at you it. have to ask that question, I really don't think it's worth going on. Well, it? God's Not Dead had more places to look at as far as, you know, this is not how things in this universe work. Right. Whereas War Room is more concentrated, bat shit insanity. Hmm. Um, there, are, there are moments in this movie that, like, just don't make sense as far as how human beings react. I don't mean having prayer or faith. All right. If you, if you want to pray for yourself, okay, fine. Have yeah, prayer it. is great. All Do right. That. Pray, pray for yourself, whatever. But when it, a gets into putting yourself into a situation that could potentially be really harmful where, you know, this is giving a bad lesson to women who, you know, maybe you do need to make a change for yourself. Maybe you need to do something. So to speak existentially, that will change your situation. You can't just talk to yourself or talk to God or whatever to Maybe change things. Maybe you need to try being away from your emotionally abusive <laughs> yes. pharmaceutical stealing philandering yes. husband. And, and by the way, the pharmaceutical part is where we get the kind of thing like in God's Not Dead where I talked about how that movie doesn't get how college works. This doesn't really seem, this movie doesn't seem to get how uh, corporate thievery works. Like, this guy, the husband steals, like, $20,000 of pharmaceuticals or something from his company to sell on his own or whatever to make, I guess, extra profit or something. Yeah. But, like, when he, he comes forward and tells the company, this is after he got fired for some other reason. And you'd think most companies, they're going to prosecute you. Yeah. They're going to send you off. They're going to go after you. That's how the no, law works. No, in this movie, it's... Well, because you came forward and told us, well, you can't get your job back, but we won't prosecute. What? No. No! 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 No, they'll no. they'll run you into the ground. No, yeah. And, you know, and this might this might be, well, I don't know if this is anti-PC or, or some type of comment. The, character, the main characters in the movie are black. Okay. So, this husband character, yeah, he's black guy. Now, in the movie's credit, they don't make a big deal that they're black. That's fine. In the real world... This guy would really be run into the ground. No, I. I uh, yeah. All right, we, there, no, no, you don't have to say anything to that. <laughs> I'm not this sure what to a, say to that. No, but, no, it's uh, fine. You don't have to say anything. I, I, I that was I just get... a thought that I had watching that, as far as 
also not reflecting the real world. Like, this is basically creating this alternate dimension where <laughs> logic is thrown out the window. There's also, this is the kind of movie where, so the, the wife and the old lady, Miss Clara, are walking the, the car, and this car thief comes with, like, a, a gun. It's like, give me your money and your car and all that. And but well, I can't give you this, my car, but you can drive it away. No, but the old woman goes, get out of here, devil! And then, That's it? end scene. The what? cops are there. <laughs> it's like the thief just left. Did, did she, like, freeze him with her voice? <laughs> Hey, another X-Men character, Voiceo. <laughs> voice voice savior. Um, so this no, that's not how Hey, dead, dead. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't like The movie uh, to be generous, the movie seems very from what you've told me, it seems very naive. Um not even so much naive. I think I know what it's doing, and it's very dangerous. It's a dangerous message to give to women that, you know, you can put up with and be subservient to your man. Be submissive to him because he will he will get better if you just pray enough. No. No. Listen to me, Lumen. If you happen to watch War Room... Jack is no. the number one source on women. Yes, I, I am the ladies' man. Listen to what I have to say. Uh, don't follow War Room's advice. Okay. Okay. Yeah, now, actually, this gives me a good opportunity to go into another f two films that I saw. Okay, please. Uh, I saw... I'm really glad I saw these films. These are like on... These are like on everybody's list. Okay. I saw two films by D.W. Griffith. Ah, I saw Intolerance, and I saw Birth of a Nation. Now, here's the interesting thing I have to tell you. I have not seen Intolerance. Oh, man. I have seen Birth of a Nation, though, unfortunately. Let's talk a little bit about Birth of a Nation. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not going to get too deeply into it, but Birth of a Nation is... Well, you have to look at it as two movies. It is. Do you, do you know it's what I lot, mean? I know what you mean. Uh, it's, it's an epic, silent film, and it uh, it's... It's about uh, Americans during the Civil War. The first half is like, the Civil War happens, two families are devastated. The second film is, the war is over, Reconstruction happens. Now, up until the middle, everything's kind of okay. Yeah, there are a couple of little tiny things here and there that yeah, feel a little bit... Yeah, but if this was any other film that took place in the 1920s or the 30s, you'd give it a pass. Because 19, like, well, 1910. I know, this is even earlier than that. So, you know, the first so, half works as basically a civil war movie. Yes. To, oh. a, to a degree because it's showing a story of that from the south's point of view, but it's pretty fair. It's yeah, it's it's I mean, as far as you can go, but, uh, if you don't get into the politics when you're talking about actual people yes. who lived at the time, who had their own points of view, who had their own causes, their own reasoning, it's pretty even-handed. Yeah. Nowadays, we can say pretty much, yeah, the South is wrong. But here, uh, D.W. Griffith is very generous uh, to, to everybody. When the second half of the film starts, though, then it then it um, it feels then, like it's directed by someone then else. Then it goes off the cliff. No, it's it's very much still the same person. Yeah, it's just oh man, it is. Well, we have to remind all people who are listening. For those of you who don't know, D.W. Griffith decided to make. Uh, I think it's. I think that this wasn't the first. It's an ad film ever made, but it's often cited as being the one that 
I guess it's it survived. Maybe there's one or two that exist before it, but this isn't a hun- This is a hundred and seventy-five minute movie. This is the first widely released epic, epic movie. Like as far as you would think something like Lord of the Rings today I mean, or Gumball. Ben Hur, Ten Commandments. Their tr- their great granddaddy is Birth of a Nation. This is the this is the guy on the porch who's like, get off my lawn. Yeah. Um, who sometimes says racist things. Like oh, trying to laugh oh, off. oh, oh, you're being subtle, my friend. I, oh, I, but the second half of the film is really, uh, it's offensive. Yeah. Well, this, I was it, about to it, say it, this is based on a book called The Klansman. Yeah. So this movie in the second half. In the second half, the, the saviors and heroes are the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, they're they're saving this town in the south from from northern soldiers who happen who are black soldiers who are also just basically white people in blackface. Yes. And they do terrible things to the people in the town. Yes. And they're extreme racist caricatures. They are, it like, and they basically make the black. Black people are only out to, you know, rape and kill the uh, precious white women. And to and not, also in all blackface, by the way. And to not work and to basically take advantage of government generosity. It is yeah, pretty really, much. really, really racist. Oh, it's hard to take. I, I, and it, it, and it's like the first half of your fi- of the film, you're like, oh, this is. A, this is pretty good, and then it takes a hard left turn. Right yeah, there after are actually that. effective moments cinematically, like mm. with uh, Lincoln. Yeah, uh, I was surprised how fair the movie was to him because I thought, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I thought the South didn't really have a good view of Lincoln for a long it time. It depends who you talk to. I mean, this film is so complicated. It is. Not just because of the message it has, which is bad. That is not complicated. No. By the but, end of this movie, the clan rides off into the sunset like they are like John Wayne in like a 40s movie. And then, oh, the real kicker at the end, once everyone is subdued and it's time to vote, all the black people come out of their houses and there are clansmen out there with guns and they all just sheepishly go back inside their houses. Oh my god. Man. It's funny. It it's is. funny also. It's funny to think about that too. After we just saw um, Free State of Jones. Oh yeah. See, yeah. See Free State of Jones after you see this. It's they're great companion pieces. Yeah, but uh, but there's I so mean, much. You can't deny that there is innovation as far as how Griffith. I mean, at the time he did create cinema, like a lot of cinematic language. Yeah. As we know it, like that scene where Lincoln is uh, shot, the way that they use like a close up. Uh, with John Wilkes Booth, or a couple of close-ups here and there. Yeah. Like, that has a lot of tension, that scene. Yeah. Uh, and the way it's executed is fine. But you have to look past that, because now it's like 100 years later, we've had all that innovation. What does this movie have to say? And what it has to say are bad things. Yeah. Uh, it's... Oh, man. It is... It, 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 it's... It's as infamous as its reputation stands for. And there's a lot of backstory you can tell that, you know, it has to do with scholarship scholarship and history at the time and how yes. people viewed the Civil War. And it's a way that's very different from how we think of the Civil War now. Well, you have to and remember about what Griffith. reconstruction is and what about racism yeah. what, and everything like that. And you can look and you can study that and you can see this is what they were thinking. I understand what they were getting at. Still, it's super wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, it's uh, it, it's very wrong. And again, I'm all right. I saw it the one time. 
I'm never watching this again. And I'm very glad that, I don't know if you've heard about the new The Birth of a Nation coming out. I was, uh, yeah, we saw the trailer for yeah, that. Yeah, we saw the for, trailer for, for that. During free, so there, before Free State of Jones. Yeah, this feels like a movie that I'm surprised no one thought to make a movie like like this before. You know, finally giving like a slap back to 100 years of Birth of a Nation by by having a movie with this title. Yeah, and they it's are... about And it's about Nat Turner. Yeah, and it's it's a way of basically taking that name away from yeah, and you lo- get removing its power. Yeah, you know, all right, you had that birth of a nation. Fine, this is our birth of a nation. This is how you know, for, at least for it's a, a new, short time, it's a new birth of a nation to... for a new time and an entire group of people. It's, I... In other words, it's it's doing a better job of updating than Ben Hur. Yes. All right, but let me tell you, hear, let me hear about Intolerance. All right, Intolerance, this is the film that D.W. Griffith deserves to be known for. Mm. Intolerance is, it's, very it's another epic, it's a three another three-hour epic. I tried to watch I watched once. Intolerance, and I was like, oh, let's get started. You know, I have to start it eventually. An hour and a half in, I'm like, whoa, an hour and a half has passed? This is great! Uh, you know, I lost track of time. I really got into it. It's four stories mixed together, kind of like Cloud Atlas, if you've seen That's that. That's why I've heard that like Cloud Atlas was inspired a little bit by this movie. I, yeah. think, I think Christopher Nolan has said that the editing style of Intolerance inspired him, too, through hmm. some of his movies. And it's, uh, it's four stories. Uh, only two of them are really important. The other two are less important. They get less screen time. Uh, about stuff that takes, and it's about ancient Babylon, and it's about, uh, and it's about this modern story of reformers and people in poverty, and it really, it, it's got so much compassion and so much sympathy. Not everything in this film is is uh, politically correct either. At least there's no blackface, but it's. Uh, oh, so does it not show like, <laughs> like people from ancient eras very well? Well, no, it's it, it's actually pretty decent. What's something that's interesting about Intolerance is that one of the big stories takes place in Babylon. Yeah. And it's a very interesting take on the Babylonians because frequently the Babylonians are seen as the bad guys. Okay. The people who get all the glory are the Persians, who the Babylonians are fighting in this one, because they are the ones who eventually, they free the Jews from mm-hmm. Babylonian slavery and they let them all go back to Israel. That's why everybody loves the Persians. Yeah. But the Babylonians here are... are for lack of a better word, the good guys. Mm. And there is an epic battle scene just before intermission where even, where even I went like, Whoa, they decapitated a guy. Cool. It's so, t- it's so technically complex and it's so exciting. I think part of the reason why I didn't watch it was kind of like a very, it was, it, I don't know if it's a great reason, but for a long time, copies of intolerance were kind of beat up. It was hard to watch. I had them. a pretty good copy. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I got it from my library, and it's so, uh, epic. Uh, it is epic in every sense of the word. Great. Uh, it's the, I, and I wish D.W. Griffith could be known for that film. Some people do cite that as being, like, his masterpiece. Like, he, he made a number of movies, he, he had this weird thing where when people came out, people came out at the time and called Birth of the Nation racist. Like, yeah. there were different parts of the nation, um, just like maybe now, who were more racist than others, we could say. Um, and the, like, you, I don't know, if, I don't know necessarily all racists loved 
uh, Birth of a Nation only. That's like a blanket. Well, you know who did, but there were people who came out, like the ACLU and other groups, like the NAACP at the time. They did come out and say this movie's terrible. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's tough. But then D.R. Griffith was all like, "I'm shocked that people would say this about me." And then presumably the the lore is that he made Intolerance as a response to that. Yeah. And then he also made other movies like Broken Blossoms, which is about an interracial romance between Oriental and a woman. I mean, Oriental is... I gotta find out more about D.W. Griffith, because this guy is... was clearly a master. Well, he made hundreds of films. I've I've seen a couple of them. He, He... You know, again, he was the guy who a lot of people look to when they say this is the birth of cinema. It started with Griffith. And, um, you know, Intolerance has just, like, it has, especially in the Babylonian sections, it has giant sets. Yeah. Well, Absolutely giant sets. And they milk it for all it's worth. Yeah. And it's so fantastic. Well, they didn't have those things called computers back then. Now, this could segue a little bit into a movie I saw, which, not quite epic, but came close. And I love this movie. This is going to be up there in my best of the year. Kubo and the Two Strings. Hmm. Have you seen heard anything about this? I hear that it's animated and Japanese. It's well, not this, well. The characters are, but it's everybody speaks English. It's a um. So the company that made this movie, uh, they're called Leica Entertainment. They um, they're they they're, their main credits. They're known for Paranorman and mm-hmm. uh, Coraline. Uh, they also did a movie a couple years ago, which I still haven't seen, called Box Trolls. Right. Which is also, from what I've heard, a good Doesn't movie. come out too long ago, so... And here's what... This is a movie that involves a... Uh, it's basically a fantasy fairy tale type of story. Um, and it's stop motion. But it's one of the most creative uses of stop motion I've seen uh, with movies. It, uh, the, it's, it, it tells a very basic story when you look at the elemental part of it. This boy, this baby is protected by its mother because there's like a fallout with her husband's side of the family, you could say. Uh, so she tries to raise him in hiding uh, from like her evil sisters. She does something useful instead of turning her closet into a war room. Yes, yes. Kubo and the two strings, better than war room. You heard it here first on the Wages of Cinema. Um, thank you. Uh, Kubo and two strings, we're happy for it. Um, so, but Kubo also, as a baby, it, it, one, he was supposed to be made blinded so that by his grandfather, he could become, like, almost a god. But his mother was like, no, I want my son here. I want him on Earth. And so, like, he, one eye was plucked out. So, Kubo is like this boy. He, uh, it cuts ahead in time at the beginning of the movie. He can do, like, magic tricks with origami. Like, these little samurai figures that can fight and do little magic tricks in uh the town square but burn him turns he's out, a witch but turns out that he's uh uh the 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 mother's evil sister comes around and uh kubo's now on his own and has to get help from this uh, uh little monkey who at first was like a little figure that he could hold in his hands but now is an actual monkey, and they come. Then they also come across this other figure um, that is like a giant beetle samurai guy, mm-hmm. and the three of them go on this quest. That's the basics of the plot. Beetle like, samurai has joined your adventuring party. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think you would love this movie. I, I strongly recommend it. I, I recommend it generally to everybody. You would especially like this because it basically make it. 
it doesn't. It's one of these anime movies. Sometimes the problem with anime movies today, they care too much to try making things hip, edgy, and here we are in the today. Let me ask times. you a question. All right. At the end of this film, during the credits, do the characters dance? No. All right, there we go. Good. There's no dancing like. There's minions. no dance number at the end. No, of this there's film. no like cutesy creatures. This to me is closer in scope to something like. I don't know, The Dark Crystal or The NeverEnding Story. It's not quite the same as that, but it's a hero's journey story. And I love that it's the kind of movie that it has magic, but what I love about it, among several other things, it doesn't go out of its way to explain its magic. It just Good. is. You know, okay, there's a there's a talking monkey that saves the lead character. Voiced by and, Charlize Theron. Yes, and, uh, the, the, and the Beatles Samurai is voiced by Matthew McConaughey, who does a great job. Nice. He's like the comedic relief, and he's great. Awesome. I wish that he would do this more often, and I'm, but I'm glad he does this. The filmmakers explain when they need to, yet when they do, it's done in the form of storytelling, in a way. Like, characters are kind of telling stories. It's organic stories. to the narrative rather Very than organic. just stopping it's, it's and a, saying, by the way, this happens. Yes, this is a full-bodied cinematic experience. Like, if I was a kid, I would watch this, like, 50 times. Or something like that over time. Like, this is such great rewatchability. Um, it's just the world that it creates. Like, this is something that's been lost in, you know, when we talked about why this summer has been disappointing, a lot of movies don't create this really good original worlds to inhabit. A lot of movies aren't good. <laughs> well, that's something else entirely. 90% of everything is crap, Jack. <laughs> well, this is part of the 10%. Yay! All right. So, Kuba and the Two Strings... If you if you hear this and this is still playing in a theater near you, go see it and go support movies that are created by people who are imagining, you know, fully realized worlds that are taking from sources, but they are fully their own. Which, um, uh, but speaking of which, speaking of animation, though, also a movie I saw was Sausage Party. All right, now, this I'm... is not for kids. No. <laughs> now I was in a bit of dilemma for this. Uh, you and I talked about this. I think I love the idea of this. It's an animated film for adults. Clearly, it's, it's an R-rated comedy from it, Seth Rogen and that and animated, which is a real rarity. The yeah. problem is, I don't like R-rated comedies. Yeah. So I'm like, ah, my see, principles well, dictate I see this or something, but. I really don't think I'll like it because I don't like that kind of movie. Well, the fun thing about this movie is that it, it, it. Well, it's an R-rated comedy, but not. How do I explain this properly? It's it's satirizing Pixar movies and DreamWorks style movies, where you know the characters are separated from their group and they gotta get back to Brave Little Toaster's such such place. Well, <laughs> Dear Little Toaster, Toy Story, uh, Finding Dory, that kind of thing. Yeah, Finding Nemo. Yeah, Finding Nemo. But it also satirizes religion hmm. and belief, of all things. Because what they set up at the very beginning of this movie, these uh, all, the, all the food and things in the supermarket all pray to the gods that they'll be chosen, uh, you know, to be taken away to wherever it is that they're going to go. They're, they're so, and, like, if they're chosen to be taken off the shelves by human hands, like, oh, my God, I can't wait to be chosen. Like, a little bit of that, uh, you know, what you call it. Almost kind of like in Cloud Atlas, in the futuristic part. Well, Cloud Atlas, but maybe, like, the uh, um, the little aliens in the ball pit in Toy Story. Oh, yeah. Um, 
but more the so con. in a way of like belief. But it becomes though this thing where, as they show in the trailer, the 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 food that gets taken back to the uh, the home, they don't suddenly they're realize eaten, until yeah. it's all of a sudden they're getting sliced and diced. Oh my god, they're gonna eat us! We're gonna die! Yeah. So everything's been a lie. So the movie's all about like, how do we explain? You know, take the wool over your eyes and show you what's really going on and uh, all this stuff. Right. Oh, cool. It it it's it. it it's like we suddenly have, like, a Ralph Bakshi movie in, like, modern day. Oh, and uh, spoilers, uh, there is, like, a food orgy. Good. Good. Um, so one more movie I want to talk about, and then I don't know if you have one more thing you I want to talk more. about. I have one more I, I really want to talk about. I now may have a new favorite Star Trek movie, or it's up there. Okay. Not And not, uh, we talked, I think I talked about Star Trek Beyond last time, but I checked out the only Star Trek movie I had yet to see uh, which is Star Trek First Contact. Okay. Now, have you seen this? I, I've seen parts of it on television. That's the best I can do. Okay. This is like the next generation cast, right? Well, yeah, well, this is... Uh, it's interesting because... Um, all right, so you know, you had the six original movies, which end, technically end with Undiscovered Country. Then Star Trek Generations comes out, and that's meant to kind of bridge the original movies with the generation cast right. when you have William Shatner in that movie. And it's almost about how he can't let go, which right. maybe he still can't. But the point is, so you have that movie, which is kind of trying to transition things. Not unlike how the very first Star Trek motion picture was trying to transition from television to motion pictures. Then you have the second movie, which really kicks things off. So in a way, this is the wrath of Khan of the next generation. Mm. It and in a way, very in more ways than one, because it involves uh, the Borg, which right. maybe you even know of the Borg. Sure, you they're the uh, cyborgs who try to assimilate all of, all of life. Well, they're in a, well, they're like a collective consciousness, right? And yeah, they assimilate life. Uh, in the show, there's this classic run where Patrick Stewart gets assimilated on their ship. So this is taking place years after that. So he knows like what they're capable of, and he. You know, the, the Borg are coming to get them. But at the same time, it's also a story involving uh, the guy who invented warp drive in the mid-21st century. So they kind of, they're kind kind of going back in time. I forget how that exactly works, but... Star Trek, it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, they, Star Trek things. So James Cromwell gets to have a great character where he's this guy named... Zephram Cochran. I hope I got that name correctly. If you want, you can correct this later uh, in email. But uh, he's this guy who's supposed who's looked at by a lot of the people in the the enter the, the the Enterprise ship. They're like, "Wow, we have a, you're, there's a school named after you in the future. Isn't that so great?" And Zephram's like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." Yeah, pretty much that. He's like a drunk. He and yet somehow he's <laughs> he's like he's like Han Zarkov from uh, Flash Gordon. Is that character kind of like that? He he's kind of like he's kind of drunk. Okay. <laughs> All right, never mind. But this is this is a great movie even if you have not seen that much Star Movies. Trek. Yeah, it's a sci- science fiction movie, just p- pure and simple. It carries a lot of what makes a science fiction movie great when it deals with ideas about how we function society. Uh, again, the Borg is this villain who, uh, they kidnap, uh, Data, who's the 
kind of like C-3PO, I guess you could say. The he's Jedi definitely Vader. the C-3PO. Yeah, a little bit. He's, Although he has a goal through the whole series, which is, I'm trying to learn more about humanity so I can maybe become human. Be a real and the boy. Bo- and the Borg gives him this chance. Well, maybe we can give you these skin grafts and we can accelerate the process for you to become human. We'll, we'll, we'll get this done. And... Yeah, you have these two sides where you have these kind of not technologically advanced people in the 21st century who are just figuring this thing out called podcasting. space travel. <laughs> yeah, podcasting. Because uh, they've survived World War Three. Again, that's one of these story things in the Star Trek universe, I guess. And then you have the Borg, which is trying to attain perfection. And you have these two sides and the Star Trek cast in the middle. And, oh, man, it just makes for such a great story. Oh, and check they it execute out. it so well. Again, you don't even need My- to be that familiar with the Generation episodes. I've only seen maybe a a handful of that sh- of episodes from that show. I've seen, but it's important. It would be important to watch episodes involving the Borg because it is quite good. Well, my my favorite Star Trek is Undiscovered Country. I don't think this is going to knock it off, but now you got me curious. Yeah. All right, I'm going to talk about one movie. Okay. And I'm finished. Sure. The Life Aquatic. Oh, had you seen this before? No. Okay. What do you think? It made me cry. Really? Yes, it did. Uh, the ending in the submarine. It, it, when he sees the uh, the, the the fish that he's been looking he, for the whole like, time, and he's like, "I wonder if it recognizes me," and everybody puts their hands on him. Yeah. And yeah, it got me. All right, I'm gonna stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna break up uh, talking about it? Uh, but here's the thing. Did you find? I think it's. I think it's you a know, very underrated movie. Yeah, and uh, I don't. I, you know me. I love the sea. I love I love the ocean. I love the shore. Yeah. And this really spoke to something in me, and I really like Bill Murray in this. Yeah, he's, Bill Murray is just... he. You know, it's Bill Murray doing, you know, the the sort of redeemable asshole thing, where he's, you know, but he's, he's kind of... Wa- but he's older. He's older, yeah. It's a different kind of redeemable asshole. Yeah, he's not... He, he's, he's washed not up. He's not Peter Vinkman he, anymore. He's not... He's not... Uh, what's his name from Groundhog Day? He's not just, like, a jerk. He's just this washed up guy and who's has- kind of lost his direction, and he's kind of horrible... But then at the end, you really just sort of feel something of him, and he makes you cry. <laughs> so yeah, well, he you know what what's kind of great about Bill Murray in that movie, and also to a large extent in this other movie he did uh, a year after that, Broken Flowers. He his face doesn't it it, it doesn't reveal too much. No, you it can re- you can put yourself into him in a way. You can kind of let his face, which is very at times deadpan, like you can read into it how you want. Yeah. And that way, like as I guess happened for you, you can tear up a little bit. Yeah. This was actually a really good movie. I remember I saw this in the theater, and then I realized, you know, my dad really likes Bill Murray. I'm going to take him to see this movie. This normally wouldn't be his kind of movie, right. but he might like this. And I, I remember he did. Yeah. And that was like a good son-father bonding experience. Oh, cool, man. You know, well, it's also about like a father and son in a way, like, like much of Wes Anderson's work. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if uh, Owen Wilson, oh, yeah, Owen Wilson is good in this too. Yeah, yeah he, Kate Blanchett he, is so, good. Yeah, you know who's my favorite? Willem Dafoe. Oh, I love Willem Dafoe. I <laughs> <laughs> doesn't Willem even Dafoe. know how to hold the boom. It's it's Willem, Willem Dafoe being goofy for a change. He's very goofy in this. Fine, don't put me on your team. <laughs> <laughs> And also that one guy who just keeps singing David Bowie in Portuguese. Yeah, yeah. The soundtrack is great. Yeah. The way that it ends, uh, I homaging the... Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh yeah. No. You didn't get that? I don't. Where they're all walking in formation. I, I didn't I... get it the first time I saw it. 
Oh crap! And somebody even mentioned like I was listening to a review and somebody even talked about Buckaroo Banzai in that thing. That's why Jeff Goldblum was there. And oh, yeah. well, oh, well, I'm now sorry. I, I feel remember. like I ruined it for. <laughs> it's it's okay, but I'm gonna watch this movie again someday. Yeah, I'm just gonna see it because I love it. Yeah. Oh, one more movie I want to quickly talk about, which I just watched uh, last night um, or the other night: uh, The Mortal Instruments, City of Bones. Oh, another bad movie. Next. Yay! Uh, <laughs> it's, I, I think yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. All right. So uh, yeah, it's Moral Instruments, City of Bones. Don't see it. That's basically see my review. See the Life Aquatic instead. See the Life Aquatic or uh, or Kubo and the Two Strings or or yeah, Intolerance. Think, oh, I have Go one see more. I have one more really quick review to give. I can do this in one minute. Uh, Lo and behold, Reveries of the Connected World, New Werner Herzog documentary. Oh. Okay. About the internet. Oh yeah, all of it. You've mentioned this before. Um, well, not all. Of it. I think you were talking to me about it. Maybe yeah, not it's podcast. a very humorous and also very dark look at how technology will affect everything and already has, and how it's too late. Yeah, and how people are already affected by it and addicted, and how uh, at one point he shows uh, machine like robots who can play soccer. Because well, we well we not? can't all shoot a movie in Peru, Werner. So no, I know we can't all go on a volcano. It's about to erupt. Jeez, yeah. we can't all just take footage of scuba diving in Antarctica and make it into a but, film uh, about space travel. But the highlight of the movie is uh, uh, he shows like Tibetan monks who are completely lost in their iPhones. That's depressing. Yeah, a little bit. Well, again, it's Werner Herzog. So these are the movies that we've seen uh, recently on the Wages of Cinema. Uh, if you have any thoughts about uh, the movies we've watched, any uh, suggestions, any rabid thoughts about things that we've seen, if you uh, uh, if you've seen Birth of a Nation, <laughs> use that addictive technology known as the internet yes. and send us a message at wagesofcinema dot gmail dot soundspace.com. Wow. You, you, you don't know email addresses, do you? I don't email myself. Wagesofcinema at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash wagesofcinema, twitter.com slash wagesofcinema, and instagram.com slash wagesofcinema. Easy to remember. Uh, we also post uh, episodes uh, that go on the SoundCloud and iTunes at the same time. So subscribe to one or both of us. And if you go on iTunes, make sure to uh, rate us and review us because it helps us with our presence on iTunes and gets us seen. It's and the easiest heard by way more for us to be seen. So just please. even just leave a couple of lines that say these lovable jerks, they know their movies. Listen, there's a review for you. I've done your work for you. You just got to type that out now. All right. And in our next episode, you'll be listening to me talk about Persona again. Yes. Again. You can't let that Again. go. Again. Never let Persona go. <laughs> Seriously. Next, next, the sequel will be called Personas. Nice. All right.